Welcome to All Along the Wasatch. I am Mike Parsons, your host, and today we are talking to guests from the National Center on Shaken Baby Syndrome. We have the Executive Director, Danielle Vasquez, and uh, Deidre Nelson, who is the Parent Support Program Nurse at Hill Air Force Base. Welcome to you both. Thank you Thank for having you. Maybe we could start with you, Danielle, and just give us the big picture elevator speech about, uh, you know, what is shaken baby syndrome and, and maybe also what isn't. So shaken baby syndrome is a form of physical abuse most often seen in children under the year, um, under one year of age. It is called also abusive head trauma most in the medical field, but we use that name interchangeably. Hmm. So shaken baby syndrome is a very, very violent form of physical abuse where a person of larger size, so adult, teen, um, much larger than the baby, will shake the baby vigorously back and forth um, with aggression. And so it's very different than what you would see as like bouncing a baby on Mm -hmm. a knee or a baby in a bike ride or hitting a bump or a bumpy road. It's a very violent back and forth where as soon as you recognize it, you would see it as a very dangerous um, behavior. And the National Center on Shaky, Shaken Baby Syndrome, it's the National Center, but it's here in Utah. Um, what is what is your purpose? I imagine education, but what else? Yes. Yeah, so our whole purpose is to prevent shaken baby syndrome and really improve the overall care of infants. So we were actually part of Prevent Child Abuse Utah back in the 90s. We just saw a need to address this. Nobody else in the nation was. There wasn't any prevention programs. It wasn't being talked about. So we started doing stuff within Prevent Child Abuse Utah. And because the need grew so quickly and there was such a high demand for this information, we broke off and became our own entity. you know, that's forming the National Center on Shaken Baby Syndrome. So that's why we're here in Utah. And not only do we serve our local community, our local state, but we do have the opportunity to serve nationally and actually internationally. And I always like to find out a little bit about how people end up where they are. So maybe just each of you give a little bit about your background and how you ended up in your current position. Danielle? Yes. So I have been with the National Center for over almost 16 years now. I started just right outside of college with my degree in social work, and I knew I always wanted to work in the nonprofit field, um, but I liked the administrative side. So I started in marketing, then moved to development, and then moved to program um, director, and then took over as executive director last year. I have a very strong passion for the nonprofit world, mm. and I just can't leave the organization. It's just <laughs> too fantastic. And Deidre, what about you? I was an Air Force nurse, active duty, for almost 10 years, and then I took a break to stay home with my babies and support my husband's active duty Air Force career. And when he retired, I ended up, we ended up staying at Hill because we love this area so Mm. much, and we, the opportunity to serve as the new parent support program at Hill presented itself, and that's when I was actually introduced to the period of purple crying because it is something that the Air Force has adopted as a way Mm. of addressing abusive head trauma and shaken baby syndrome, which, interestingly enough, I've been doing this for eight years, and I love it so much that I helped get the Air Force program off the ground here at Hill and across the Department of Defense. And and for those that might be listening, 
uh, Danielle, and, and they're thinking, well, why would anyone do that to a baby? Um, they're probably not parents, first of all. I, I remember being in my 20s and being a new dad, and you're tired, and everybody's irritable, and the baby won't stop crying. So that's kind of the situation that people find themselves in, Am I, correct? Yeah, that's really it. So it's, you know, most people don't know that babies go through a normal um development stage of of crying where they'll start crying at two weeks that crying can peak at weeks um eight to ten and that could be up to three four five hours a night Mm. and then it decreases but parents caregivers uh, they can get extremely frustrated with that crying and it's when they don't know how to act appropriately or don't set the baby down and they just act in frustration. That's usually when we see this form of abuse occur. And really anyone um, can shake a baby. Uh, We, you know, the most, um, more often than not, it is um, a male caregiver, either the biological father or the other mother's boyfriend. But we have seen moms, Mm. we've seen siblings, we've seen grandparents, daycare providers, really anyone that cares for a baby is at risk for getting frustrated with the infant crying. And anyone who's been a parent knows that feeling. I mean, I remember with with my kids when they were little and just like wanting to cry myself. Why won't you stop crying? Uh, And it can Mm -hmm. be very, very frustrating. Absolutely. I'm a grandpa now, and I find that I have a whole lot more patience than I did with, with my own kids. Um, and so I just, for me, it, it seems like that it, it would be a younger person's issue. Do you find that's the case? No, not no? necessarily. Okay. Um, and you just add in a lot of factors, right? If they're already stressed about maybe a lot, job loss or financial strains or someone's sick or they're just tired because they haven't slept, you know, well because there's a baby that's crying all the time. It, it really doesn't discriminate or have a, a a group that's more prone to shaking. I mean, there's factors, you know, that are that add to the risk of maltreatment overall. But really, it can it can be anybody. I, you know, I see. I remember my dad one time with my newborn, and he was like, "Oh my gosh, this child." And he's like, "I'm sorry, I can't help you right now," and just had to walk away. Yeah. And same with me. I worked at the national center. I knew about normal crying, and I was still frustrated and tired. Um, and I still like, luckily I, I had the knowledge to put my baby down and walk away, but I could see how quickly yeah. a caregiver can get to that point. Yeah, for sure. Um, how many babies does, let's talk about some numbers. And of course, these are all individual babies we're talking about just, but to get the scope mm-hmm. of the issue, how many babies suffer from shaken baby syndrome in, in the U S or in the world? So it's estimated that about fourteen to sixteen hundred babies in the U.S. are shaken each year, but we we think that's actually just the tip of the iceberg, because some of these babies aren't brought in. Maybe their symptoms aren't as severe, so they're not brought in. Maybe it's chalked up to nausea from an illness of some sort. Um, so those are being missed. Um, also, fourteen to sixteen hundred doesn't sound like a lot, but it's more common than than poisoning, drowning, electrocution, all combined together. So, and it's so hard because this is a baby's life. You know, mm-hmm. what this baby could have been right. if they hadn't been abused is what, you know, was, is really devastating. And, and do we know about how many pass away each year? 
Yeah, so about 30 to 40% of the babies that are shaken do pass away from their injuries. And what are, uh, Deidre, maybe you could talk about what are some of the, the warning signs or, you know, I'm sure that there are people that aren't going to step forward and say, hey, I did this. Uh, so other family members or, you know, if you have a caregiver, what sorts of things do you want to watch for to see to, to know that maybe something's going wrong? So I, I think it can happen at any time, honestly. Like, I don't know that there's necessarily a warning sign that I would say, oh, you're at risk. I think mm-hmm. all people who care for a baby who's a crier could potentially snap, to be honest with yeah. you. I've, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of parents, and I teach prenatal classes, and I talk about the period of purple crying with all of them prenatally and postnatally after their babies are born, and... Some of them will say, you know, why why are you trying to scare us with this purple crying thing? And and what are, what are you talking about? There's no way I would ever shake my baby. And then they call me after <laughs> their baby's born and after yeah. they're dealing with the crying. And they're like, I am so grateful that you shared mm. about the period of purple crying because I had no idea how frustrated I would get. And it was so comforting to know that it's not that I'm doing something wrong. This is such a a frustrating time, but knowing that it's a completely normal thing in a child's development and that it will pass, that that's what the period means, Mm -hmm. that the crying has a beginning and an end, and that I'm not a bad parent or I don't have a bad baby, that I will get through this. Mm -hmm. And knowing that can be incredibly powerful for families that are dealing with that crying curve that all babies encounter. You know, you've probably heard friends or family say, oh, he's got the evening fussies or, oh, it's the witching hour. He always cries at dinner time. That's purple crying. It's just maybe you have got one that's a low crier that only cries for 20 or 30 minutes versus the high crier that cries five or more hours mm. a day. Right. I, but I also mean, like, you know, if you're in a family situation, what sort of symptoms you might look for in your baby you know, if it's been with a caregiver and something doesn't quite seem right, you know, mm-hmm. what, what sorts of things, what, what sorts of symptoms would you see after a baby has been shaken? When a baby is shaken, you use, they usually show signs immediately. They may be lethargic, vomiting, non-responsive, um, limp. They may have seizures. Mm. They may not. It might be something as simple as just not feeding very well. And, and, you know, babies have personalities pretty quick. And you can tell when a baby is just not being itself. So anytime you have suspicion that this, this baby is not right, there's something going on, you know, seek medical care immediately. And I would think it would be important, too, to maybe mention to the doctor, listen, I you know, I noticed the change after they were with a caregiver, you know, so that the doctor would know that maybe that's that's what's going on and not something else. Well, and what they, you know, we, this comes up actually a lot um, about, well, how do you know it's not shaken baby or how do you know it's shaken baby mm. syndrome and not something else? Maybe a mimic of some sort, some sort of deficiency or vitamin K deficiency or something like that. And, you know, our medical community is is very well trained. They do something called a differential diagnosis where they don't want to pigeonhole themselves into one thing or the other. So they will run through a very detailed checklist of what's going on with the baby. Um, And then once they start narrowing down 
they'll say, okay, this is this is very suspicious. And then that's when they'll start talking about, okay, mm. this baby might have been abused. At that point, usually CPS is called in, um, sometimes an investigator, and then they'll start working together to kind of figure out what actually happened. But at the very first part of that, the doctor just wants to figure out what the baby is going through, what are some of the symptoms, um, and then and then they can figure out what caused that. Yeah. But they want to treat that baby right away, and they don't want to pigeonhole themselves. And either. how are doctors at considering shaken baby syndrome? So usually, when a child is shaken, it's pr- they're pretty their 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 injuries are pretty severe right away. Mm, so okay. a lot of times they'll be taken to a children's hospital if there's a children's hospital nearby or a, a higher level emergency room. And those children's hospitals have what's called a, either a child protection team or something like that where they have pediatricians that are actually their subspecialty is just child abuse. So they do child abuse pediatrics. So they are really well-trained um, to, to, to evaluate these babies, to meet the needs of these babies, and try to negate um, these lifelong injuries that they might be suffering from. Right. And that, that brings up another issue. If, if, if a baby does survive a shaking session, or, um, what sorts of long-term problems could they have? Anywhere from blindness, and 80% of the children that are shaken uh, are blind or have some visual impairment, uh, cerebral palsy, learning, um, cognitive disabilities. You'll see a lot that are, that really stay in that three- to four-month um, developmental stage and that they're 20, 25 years old, and they can't care for themselves um, it's 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 quite sad, hmm. and and some might you know really come out on top considering what they went through as a young child. Some might just have some some small behavior issues or some fine motor skill issues, um, but it, you just never know. So, Deidre, we've talked and mentioned the purple crying several times, but we haven't explained exactly what that means. So maybe you could delve into that. What does that mean? The period of purple crying, and why is it called that? Yeah. So. The letters in purple are an acronym, and I always tell the military families, military always has lots of acronyms. Oh, yeah. The military didn't come up with this one, so, but acronyms can be a really helpful tool to remember all of the important elements. So the word period means that the crying has a beginning and an end, and the letters in purple each stand for something. So the first P in purple is the peak of crying. So your baby might cry more each week and the most in month two. It starts at two weeks, and then it peaks at two months, and then it's less in months three to five. And then the U is that it's unexpected. So the crying can come and go, and you don't know why. But that can be kind of frustrating for parents. Um, so it's it's good to know that that's what's happening with, with – it's not something that you're doing, right? Right. Um, the R in purple is that it resists soothing. So – your baby may not stop crying no matter what you try. To ten percent of crying oh. bouts, depending on the infant, are, are going to be resistant to soothing. So no matter what you do, your baby's going to continue to cry some of the time. And although all crying can be really frustrating if it goes on for a long time, it is those unsoothable bouts of crying that are the most difficult, and they're the most frustrating to parents. So. You know, parents want to fix it when their baby's crying. So if you can't because it resists soothing, that makes parents feel pretty, pretty rotten. So 
trying to make sure that parents know, okay, it's not you, it's not your, it's normal. So don't take it personally. Um, the second P in the purple acronym stands for pain like face. So a crying baby may look like they're in pain even when they are not. Mm. So even though they cry a lot, there are other times of the day when they're perfectly happy and they're cooing and giggling and being wonderfully responsive. That's not the way most of us adults feel when we're sick or in pain, and it's not likely to be true for infants either. Mm. So that can be a helpful delineator for families to consider. The L in the purple acronym stands for long-lasting. So like I mentioned a minute ago, crying can last as long as five hours a day or more. So the persistent episodes of crying can last anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes at a time to multiple hours, and they can go on for days at a time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So knowing ahead of time that 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 could be what's happening with your baby and then having a safety plan for that and knowing, okay, I need to call on some resources. If I have a high crier like that, you need to know how to handle that. And then the E in the acronym for stands for evening. So your baby might cry more in the late afternoon and evening. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned earlier that that sometimes can be known as the witching hour, late afternoon or evening hours seem to be when the crying peaks or last the longest. Do we so know? Do kind we, of being armed with that. Do we know why uh, babies go through this period of crying? I mean, what does what function does it serve? It's just from what we what the research shows us. It's just a normal stage of infant development. We don't know if it serves a specific function or not, but we do know that it's a normal part in in all mammals and huh. all cultures of child rearing. It's just a stage that they go through. Um, so. It's really kind of a mystery that way, but we do know that it's completely normal and that it affects all breastfeeding mammals. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I've always uh, just kind of, uh, you know, when they're crying and you can't get them to stop no matter what you try, I always just think, well, that's going to be really good. They're going to have strong lungs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, talking about training and yeah. resources, there's tons of that on your website, which is don'tshake.org. I should have mentioned that. It's a great website, don'tshake.org. Lots of resources, lots of info. There's free training. There's uh, packages that are available for sale. Uh, maybe, Diane or Danielle, you could talk a little bit about what's available there at don'tshake.org. Yes. So we work uh, mostly with the professionals that are serving the parents. We want to make sure that they are educated about shaken baby syndrome and normal infant crying so then they can then better serve the families that they work with. So we have trainings for nurses, social workers, uh, child care providers. We have programs that um, they can, from us, that they can then in turn provide to the families. So we just want to make sure that those professionals have all the tools available to them when working with these families of new babies. And uh, Deidre, you talked about it a little bit, but what are some of the biggest myths or misunderstanding about shaken baby syndrome? Well, one of the ones that I hear a lot is families are like, oh, what if, you know, I'm, I'm bouncing with my baby or like if I'm rocking my baby, you know, you, a natural inclination for a lot of parents is to kind of, you know, do that baby bounce, yeah. right? That's not shaking. That's, that's bouncing and that's actually very soothing for most babies but um i think that's i think a lot of people another myth is that my baby won't do this because i'm going to be the perfect parent (laughs) there's no such thing as the perfect parent and there's no such thing as the perfect baby they all are going to do this but it's just a matter of 
of whether they're going to be low criers or high criers. So I hope everyone has a low crier, but that's not reality. But yeah. but also knowing that this stage will pass gives many parents peace of mind. But also knowing that there's tips and techniques that you can utilize to soothe your baby when their cries seem never ending can be really helpful. And and one of the tools that I use with my families that I serve is the Period of Purple Crying app that we give to all of our families. And I know Danielle can speak more to that app. I love it. It's phenomenal. But it also has lots of techniques on on how you can try to calm and soothe your baby, even when, when they seem pretty upset. Mm. Like skin-to-skin contact is really a, like a hard reset for babies mm. oftentimes. Swaddling them is really very helpful for a lot of babies to feel safe and secure, which can lead to fewer tears. Moving with your baby, like during a long crying spell, taking them for a walk and holding them, rocking them, swaying them. Sometimes even taking a bath with a baby. Bath time is it's typically a soothing experience for babies and putting them in, in a nice bath when they're upset can be can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Getting outdoors, that change of scenery, sometimes that combination of a change of scenery and fresh air can help calm a baby when they're crying or going for a walk or going outside and sitting on a blanket under a tree. The, the change of scenery is really helpful. Um, and then I always like to remind parents to check all of their baby's physical cues. You know, check the baby for a fever, change their diaper if it needs to be changed, burp them, feed your baby if it's been a while since feeding. And always check with the doctor if, if you're concerned. But um, but when they are feeling frustrated and knowing that soothing won't always stop your baby's crying, if you are feeling frustrated, babies can sense that frustration. So putting a baby down in a safe place and walking away and taking some time to calm down and then go back and check on the baby or reaching out to a trusted family or friend for support. But no matter how frustrated anyone gets when they're caring for a baby, never shaking them Mm. and knowing that, that they can look again at that period of purple crying program materials because it can really help and, and know that it's okay to be frustrated. It's what you do with your anger and frustration. That's important. So taking a break from the crying and taking care of yourself is really, really important. So, Danielle, tell us more about this app. Yeah, so we uh, offer, it's called the Period of Purple Crime app. It's it's part of a program that is distributed through hospitals, health departments, home visiting programs, pediatric offices, anyone, any um, setting that serves families um, under with the baby under two weeks of age. So those organizations will get those materials from us and then deliver it to the families. That way a person of health authority can walk through all the key points, you know, just like Deidre does with her families, walks everyone through those key points to know that the crying is normal, to know what to do when you're frustrated, how to cope with the crying, uh, techniques to soothe your baby. We need that information to be delivered by someone of that, of that health uh, knowledge and so parents are more receptive to the messages. So that's what we're trying to do is just make sure that we can partner with as many hospitals and, and health departments and et cetera to, to ser- better serve those families with these yeah. materials. And where do people get the app? Just normal places you'd get any app? No, it would, it's provided to them from, I mean, you can you download it, but there's an activation code that's oh. provided by the hospital or health department. Oh, okay. And so when the, when the, the the health professional is providing that education. They, in turn, will actually help download the app and then walk through everything with them, watch the video with the families, 
um, to talk about the the talking points. And so it's 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 a little bit different than just downloading an app. Oh, okay. We we want it to come with some sort of education. Gotcha. And Danielle, I noticed that you've had your annual conference all over the world, but next year it's right here in Salt Lake City. Um, who attends your conference and what happens there? Yeah, so we're coming back to Salt Lake because that's where our very first conference was in 96, and we thought it's time to come back home. And really, everyone wants to come here. Who wouldn't want to come to yeah. Salt Lake, right? Uh, but we we talk about the latest research in identifying identifying shaken baby syndrome and treating um, victims of shaken baby syndrome, how to prevent shaken baby syndrome, how to investigate a suspected case, how to actually prosecute a case. We have lawyers, pediatricians, mm. nurses, social workers. We ha- have families of victims that will come to our conference and victims and, you know, if they've survived these injuries and are older, they've come as well. And if they're able to, they've shared their, their story. So it's really, it's a really multidisciplinary uh, event. And moving forward, what are your goals five or 10 years from now? Really, I would love to say that we didn't exist because there isn't uh, sure. shaking anymore. Sure. But, I, you know, we know that's not reality. You're not going to prevent something 100%. So um, our goal is just to make sure that we spread this important message to everyone. There are still people that don't know that shaken baby syndrome is dangerous. And so it's just building that, that, that knowledge base and, and also changing society's perception on crying. You know, we see that all the time about, oh, my gosh, why won't you stop your baby from crying at the mm-hmm. grocery store or restaurant? We want people to know, you know, we want society to know that it's completely normal, that the baby's normal, and that the parents are doing their best but they're not always going to be able to soothe their babies. So maybe support that parent better. So that's really what our goal is. We want these babies to be safe from harm. Yeah. I always think about that on an airplane when there's a baby crying, that no one is more frustrated than the parent of that baby mm-hmm. as much as it's bothering everybody else on the plane. It's They're the most uncomfortable of everybody. So, Deidre, do you have yeah. any examples of uh, maybe stories you've seen recently that you could share with us? Because sometimes those stories are really powerful. Yeah, so I actually had a family who had attended one of my prenatal classes, so I had given them a dose of education on the period of purple crying, and the mom was like, I remember that we talked about this, but I don't know what to do. My baby will not stop crying, and I'm I just, I'm at my wit's end. And so we, I talked to her on the phone and made a, an appointment to sit down with her again in person, and she learned again all about the period of purple crying and, and what to look for. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I this is exactly describing my baby. Uh, and I feel like this is this is like an aha moment. And so we said, OK, well, let's let's sit down again in a couple of days and we'll we'll chat. And so she came in and actually came into our office and she said that if she hadn't had that piece of information about the period of purple crying the night before she was going, she, she would have shaken her baby because oh, wow. the baby was frustrating her again. And she was like, I love my baby more than anything. Cause this isn't about whether you sure. love your kid or not. This is, this is a, it's very frustrating when your baby is crying and screaming for five hours at a time. And she said, you know, if, if I hadn't known this, I would have shaken my baby and the period of purple crying Knowing about that has saved my baby's life. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, it's 
great to learn more about what you do and its important work. And uh, we've been talking to Executive Director Daniel Vasquez, Deidre Nelson, who is the Parent Support Program Nurse at Hill Air Force Base. And again, the website with all of the great resources and information, don'tshake.org. Thank you so much for your time and what you're doing in our community. Thank you so much for letting us share our message. Not that I'm, I can oh, think good. of right away. I think we <laughs> did a really good foundation. Yeah. I guarantee one of you will think yeah. of, of something in the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sure. Mike, if you I'm want, sure. if you want a, a, a story.